don't we just pray? Let's grab your neighbor's hand there and just just hold this hand for a minute. This is the exciting time for the single people. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to do this. So I, just let, I like to make it easy for them every week that I preach. So Holy Spirit, we just thank you for marriage. And we, and we, and we pray for uh, reconciliation. And peace on earth and goodwill to mothers and fathers and everyone else. Amen. Amen. Well, tonight I want to talk about the path to peace and uh, you know, talking about the other morning we were... You know, you know I, I love Christmas. Do you guys love Christmas season? I, I do know, I am very aware that Christmas... Uh, is a painful season for people who have suffered loss or, um, what, you know, all, all those things. I, I do understand that. So I'm not trying to be insensitive to that. But uh, Christmas is, is a really special time around our house. We're, um, we're, not, we're not the best. Kathy and I are not the best at celebrating holidays. Like, um, like some people just do this amazing job. I'm always jealous of them. Um, we, have, we have a very close friend who's a pastor. I mean, she remembers everything. Like, she remembers birthdays, holidays, anniversaries, and she sends us really nice gifts every time. And I, Kathy and I are always like, oh, I feel so bad because we don't do that for them. <laughs> and, uh, and we get, you know, I don't know, we get, I don't know how many, we get two or three hundred Christmas cards, and we don't send Christmas cards out. And, and uh, the other day we're, we, we woke up, I think it was on a Saturday, and Kathy we're getting ready for the day, and she said, do you ever just feel like you're failing? <laughs> this is like in a season we really love. Do you ever just feel like you're failing? I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world. This is the world I live in. Like, no matter what you do, it's not enough. And the more friends you make, the more Christmas cards you get, and the more guilty you feel like you're not going to get. I just want to put a big old sign up on my life that says, don't send me any Christmas cards because I don't give them back. And please don't get me any gifts because I don't give those back either. And um, I actually love you. That's it, right there. There's my Christmas card. I love you. Love you all. And um, I did post it on my Facebook page. Like, if you sent me a Christmas card, I will not be returning it. It's not because I don't love you. It's because I'm dysfunctional in a certain area of my life. (laughs) And... um, so, so we were just talking about, and, and, and people ask questions. They probably ask them of everybody, you know. I, I think they, if, if you're, especially if you're a public person, sometimes, I, I don't know how people can think my life's all together because I confess every sin. Like, I use the opportunities when to preach just to, like, tell people how I messed this week up. But some people will still be like, um, do you ever feel like quitting? Seriously, have you listened to any of my preaching? <laughs> Only weekly. <laughs> I mean, you know, the problem with life is just so daily. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, I, I don't know, you know, I, I think that 
everybody goes through seasons of, of time where you just feel like you're not succeeding. And it, 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 may, not, it may be real, it may not be real. Um, I find, to be honest, that sometimes in the seasons that I think that, I, that I'm doing the worst, I look back a year later and it was really a fruitful season. And other times when I think I'm really doing awesome, you know, the people who matter the most don't think I was doing so well. So, so I, I don't know that I'm a great judge of, of how I'm actually doing. And, um, and I, I know the answer. Talk to Jesus and let him talk, tell you. They tell me on Facebook all the time, you just need to have a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so I, I want to talk about um, the path to peace and... Um, a, a bunch of this is what I learned, actually learned from Bill over 37 or 38 years. Would you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30? And actually, Bill wrote a book called uh, Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. And How many of you have read that book? I've, I've read it, I think, a couple of times. It's a very good book. And uh, a bunch of this, I, you know, I, I never know exactly what is actually originally mine. Lots of times I think that something's originally mine, and then I find out later that um, somebody 150 years ago said that, and I must have picked it up someplace from somebody's quote, or, or Bill said it, or Jesus said it. <laughs> a lot of times I think, man, this is so good, what I thought of, then I realized it was actually a Bible verse. <laughs> and, and I've had this happen I, it, probably at least 50 times. People will come and say, Bill Johnson said, it'll be someplace in a conference usually, Bill Johnson said, and they'll quote Jesus Christ word for word. I'll be like, no, that was actually Jesus. It's just when Bill says it, it says it in a way that you've never heard it before, even though it's exactly what's in print. Have you ever noticed that about Bill? Like, he'll read a scripture and you're like, oh my God, where did he get that? And you're like, book of John. So, um, so I want to talk a little bit about strengthening yourself in the Lord. If you'll turn to 1 Samuel 30, did I already tell you that? We'll start from verse 1. And this is uh, actually a, a pretty uh, familiar story in this house because Bill has preached on this and wrote a book about it. It's the story of David and his mighty men going out after the Philistines. They had a great victory. They come home and their city is plundered. And we're going to read about it actually in this, in this first verse. It happened when David and his men returned to Ziglag on the third day, that the Amalekites had, had made a raid on Nivah and Ziglag and overthrown Ziglag and burned it with fire. Sorry, these names, I don't... I always feel good because people can't pronounce my last name either until I tell them, so I don't feel as ignorant. And they burned it with fire, and they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off. And went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and daughters were taken captive. And when David and the people who were with him, and then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive. Ahanamim, something like that, the Jezelite, Jezelite, anyway. And Abigail, I got that one right. The widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. That sounds like a candy. And if you read the story, the guy's a jerk, so I don't know how he got a name like a candy. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. 
For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abarth the priest, the son of Abinelech, Please bring me an ephod. So Abarth brought him an ephod and da- uh, to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to them, Pursue them, for you shall surely overtake them, and you shall surely rescue all. First, I just want, first want to talk about five things we can learn from this story. And the first one is this. People always want someone to blame for their pain. People always want to blame somebody for their pain. I don't know if it's... Uh, evil like the devil or if it's human nature or if they if if human nature and the devil get together but when something when somebody's in pain it seems like they want to figure out whose fault it is and um this happens from you know from the sports world to the and, and uh, you know to daily life and I, i'm not so sure that anybody's exempt from that and I, i'm not so sure that it's it's actually wrong to ask the question um what actually went wrong here so that we can fix it? But when people are in pain, they typically want somebody, they want to point their pain at somebody. And I'm not sure why, why that dynamic is true, but we see it here in the life of David. It's like David's, David you know, and his men are off in a battle doing what they're called to do, and when they come home, their, their wives and their, their, their sons and daughters are taken away, and it's like, okay, here's a great solution. Let's kill David. Like, it must be his fault. It's got to be someone's fault. I watch people do it with government. And, you know, it's like the president of the United States, he, he, he's, he's almost like God. Like, he's supposed to know everything. So when a, you know, a corporation like Enron goes bad, then, you know, George Bush should have known that those people were, you know, were fraudulent, you know. And, and no matter what happens in the world, it's like we, wanna, we look for somebody. If the Democrats are in office, then it's their fault. If the Republicans are in office, it's their fault. It doesn't really matter which, what political party. And then we, we vote that party out so that we can have people in there who are, we can, we can, are going to be more responsible. And we've probably figured out that no matter who's leading us, that... The real struggle isn't that they make mistakes. The real struggle is that we need somebody to blame our pain on. So, um, uh, yeah, that's true. Number two, well, you're staring at me like, well, I don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you do, actually. (laughs) Number two, asking why when you're in the midst of pain may make you feel better, but it never leads to the right conclusion or the real answer. We were with some people in the last month or two who, um, who lost a baby at um, eight months, and we were there when, they, when she delivered. Uh, all was very painful. Very painful. Ten, ten times more painful for them than us, but we've known them for a long, long time. And uh, so we're, I've been interacting with them for a, a little while, just like, you know, what, I, get, I guess the first thing you ask yourself as a friend, what, what do I say? Like, what, and and I've, one thing I've learned is don't, don't try to have answers for people. Just mourn with people who mourn. You, you don't have to be afraid to be with people who mourn because you don't know what to say. Just mourn with them, you know. 
But one thing I did say to them, to them is asking why this happened in the middle of your pain, may, you may come up with an answer that will comfort you, but it won't be the right answer. It'll just be an answer that you need to comfort you. So best thing to do when you're in the middle of pain is just let there be closure and learn to trust a God that you don't totally understand. How many of you totally understand God? Just Eric and I, the only two. Yeah, we're all, I'm all, yeah. How many of you think that there's a lot of planets? How many know there's thousands of planets out there? Maybe there's millions, I don't know. Some of you that are into that, that area of science may know them better than me. But we would agree there's a lot of planets. So when God put the devil on the earth, and it says the earth was formless and void, how many understand that he, he could have put the devil on Pluto? I, I mean, I'm just saying, all I'm trying to get at is that I don't know if we, anybody, any of us totally understand this, but God put the devil and man on the same planet. And there seems like there's a lot of room in the universe. So I start right there with, I don't get it. <laughs> anyway, uh, you're like, Dalton, what's your point? My point is that there is a part of God that I just don't get. And I think that maybe when we get to heaven, you know, maybe like in the billionth year I'm in heaven, I'll, I'll, I'll learn that, I'll get that answer. But one of the things that I've committed myself to and recommitted myself to during real times of uncertainty, like my friends who lost their child, is that I have to trust a God I don't totally understand. I have to trust a God I don't totally understand. And I have to know, just what Chris was sharing earlier, or I think it was Gabe was sharing earlier, that God loves the world a million times more than I do. And so... I have to trust that when something seems off, that God knows it and he has some way he figures it out. And I don't know what that is. You know, I comfort myself with this. If someone would have said to me, to any of us, 150 years ago, I can take, the, I, I, can write, I can write the complete Bible on something as small as your fingernail and I can read it. I bet everyone in this room 150 years ago would have said, you are crazy, no one can write that small. Because we were missing a piece of technology. Are you following me? We didn't understand the microchip and everything else that goes along with it. We didn't understand technology. So between, uh, between 150 years ago and now, technology has developed so when somebody says i can write a complete bible on something the size of your fingernail it feels rational and the only reason it feels rational is because now i understand the technology so when god says i love you and he says there's a hell and there's a heaven and i love people and there is a hell that people actually go to and i go how could a loving god do such and such i don't know but I find that God's been around for a long time and he, he has some technology that I haven't caught up with. And if I understood everything God understands, it would be very logical. Are you following me? 
So I don't have to, change, I don't have to create a God in my image. What, what happens when I make excuses or when I, when I go, well, I wouldn't do that, so God, God must not. You know, some, sometimes I, I, I'm a, I, I, think, I read the Bible and I go, well, that, that can't be right because that's not what I would do. So then I change the scripture so that it matches my behavior and I end up with a God in my image. And I'm simply saying that often happens when you're in pain. It's like we come up with excuses to satisfy, to give, you know, to, 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 to satisfy ourselves. And you know, the, the challenge is, is that if God does want us to solve the mystery, it'll never be solved because we think we solved it with an answer that made us comfortable but probably isn't the right answer. It's like people say this all the time. I don't know if, I'm sure you've said it. How come I always find the key, my keys in the last place I look? I don't know, you might want to think about that for a moment. Why would you keep looking if you found your keys? People who do that are in homes. So the challenge is, is once you think you have the answer, you stop looking. And once you stop seeking, you stop finding. So don't create answers that keep you from seeking, because if you don't have the real answer, you'll be satisfied with one that isn't true. Number three, no matter what structure, no, no governmental structure can keep evil people from being destructive. Now, it doesn't matter if you have the right people, a great education, a great relationship with God, how long you read the Bible, so on and so forth. It, David's, David comes home and the city's burned. How many of you understand that wasn't David's fault? It wasn't any of his men's fault. There are just people that are bent on destruction. Uh, I'm not doing well tonight. You guys are really quiet. There are certain people, like, it's like, okay, when somebody breaks into your house, maybe you should have had an alarm. Maybe you do have an alarm. Maybe you should have, maybe someone didn't lock a window. So on and so forth. But let me just tell you something. That most criminals, if they want to get into your house, they're going to figure out some way to get in. And it's not somebody's fault. It's the criminal's fault. <laughs> because there are a few people in the world that are bent on evil. And they, yes, they can be obviously redeemed. But before they get redeemed, they're bent on evil. And so trying to figure out whose fault it is that somebody did something wrong that's like they're trying to create a new structure like every time something goes wrong and uh, i shouldn't say every time i'm exaggerating often when things go wrong in the world or something goes wrong in the organization i'm with we want to change the whole organization so that'll never go wrong again and i like to suggest that no organization you that you create will keep people from doing evil if they want to Thank you, you're very, being very encouraging, but I've already encouraged myself in the Lord. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've shared this before, but Jesus made Judas the, the treasurer, and he knew he was a thief. Why did he do that? Because he trusted people before they deserved it. And when he trusted people before they deserved it, he created 11 world changers. And one man hung himself. If Jesus went back and created a system of control 
where Judas could never have stolen because he has to give a weekly report, guess what? He wouldn't have had a Judas, but he wouldn't have Peter's either. So some of us want to live in a sterilized world where nothing can ever go wrong. I want to tell you what that's called, a graveyard. Nothing goes wrong in a graveyard, and everything is in nice, orderly rolls, rows, rows, not like a car you drive, but like straight things. Everything's in order, but there ain't nothing living. Number four, David refused to blame God for, for their painful predicament, but instead strengthened himself in the Lord. This word strengthen is really an interesting word. It means, it, it means lots of things. It means to hold fast, to fortify, to persuade yourself, to tie yourself to, to be encouraged, to, to grow stronger, to hold on firmly, to overcome, to seize, to be resolute, to prevail. In other words, you know, when things go wrong, you can leave or cleave. And David, when things went wrong, instead of David leaving the Lord, instead of David blaming the Lord, instead of David like, you know all, you see all, and our wives have been taken away, and this must be your fault. Instead of doing anything like that, it says he seized the Lord. He hung on to the Lord. He grabbed the Lord. When everybody said, let's kill David, he didn't defend himself. He, he hung on to the Lord. It's... Yeah, that's a good word. And the last one is this. David overcame his fear and inquired of the Lord from a place of courage what they should do to rectify his situation. I, I, I love that. David overcame his fear. Like he's as afraid as, of every, he's as, as afraid, he's as afraid as his men, but he refuses to let his fear dictate what he's going to do. So instead he strengthens himself he finds a place of strength and he says God what should we do not from a place of fear but from a place of strength he says what should we do shall we go after them and the Lord says go after them and you shall you'll get them all back and so I, I, I like that I, I want to I talk about walking out of discouragement how do I get out of discouragement David strengthened himself in the Lord I want to just give you just nine quick points. How do I get out of discouragement? The first one is this. Remember that you're better than your worst day, so don't let it define you. Let me say it again. Remember that you're better than your worst day, so don't let your worst day define you. <clears throat> Ephesians 2.1, you know these verses. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too were all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of our mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. How many of you know you were children of wrath before you met Jesus? Good word. Okay. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. For grace you were saved. You raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ, so that for the ages to come, he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness 
towards us in Christ Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus saw us in our sin and he said, you're, listen, you're better than your worst day. He looked at you and he goes, there's something better in you than that. You're actually better than that. How do I know that? Because I actually created you in my image and in my likeness. And therefore, you're better than your worst day. You're better than your worst sin. You're better than the worst thing you've ever done in your life. Number two, recount God's miracles in your life, what he has done, and stop focusing on what he hasn't accomplished. How do I get out of discouragement? I focus on what God's done in my life, this is Bill's message, and not on what he's yet to do. And I love in the book of Joshua, God says three times, four times to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, don't be afraid. And then he tells him, I want you to think about my word, I want you to meditate on my word, I want you to talk about my word, I want you to do my word, and then you'll be successful. For a couple of things I want to mention about that. How many of you have ever been afraid? How many, ever, how many of you feel like when you're afraid you have a choice to not be afraid? Yeah, maybe a couple of us. Now, I, when, God says, when God said to Joshua, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous, how many know he couldn't have said that to Joshua if we didn't have a choice not to be afraid? And, and, and I'd like to suggest that courage is not, is not the absence of anxiety it's the, present, it's the presence of a sense that I'm going to do the right thing no matter how I feel. Some people are like, oh, some people think that they see people who act courageously and they go, oh, those people don't have anxiety. I'd like to suggest they just don't let fear tell them what to do. I just don't let fear reduce me. I don't reduce my life to accommodate fear. Pretty soon I can't get out of my bedroom when I do that. And so, so how do I... How do I how do I find courage in my life? I, I focus on what God's done in my life and not what he's yet to do, and I remind myself, I meditate. It's interesting, the Hebrew word meditate there, I did a word study on it some years ago, and it means to talk to yourself or sing to yourself. Talk to yourself or sing. It's the psychologists call it, they, they call it uh, self-talk. I, I tell myself about the things God did. It's not just I sit in a corner, mm, what are you doing right now? I'm emptying my mind. No, no. How many of you know that, that meditation in the scripture isn't emptying my mind? It's filling my mind with God thoughts. I'm taking on God thoughts. I'm taking on the mind of Christ. I'm reminding myself, what is God thinking right now? What has God done in my life? And I'm not filling my, my, my mind with all the things that have gone wrong. I love what Winston Churchill said. He said, when I look back at all the, wor- at all the worries, I, all my worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which never happened. I love that story. When I look back on all my worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had a lot of trouble in his life most of which never happened. Winston Churchill. Somebody once said, it's not what happens to you, but the stories you make up about what could happen to you that scares the bejeebers out of you. I added bejeebers. <laughs> I don't spend my time thinking about what can go wrong. I don't, I don't spend my time visualizing how bad this can get. What's the worst case scenario? Let's make a movie out of it in my mind. 
There are a lot of producers in this room. We sit in our beds at night and we think about, we make up a horror story about something we were afraid of and we have a full color, 30 minute long infomercial about how terrible this thing could turn out. And the truth is, I think that we should make a movie about how amazing this is gonna turn out. Well, what if it turns out bad? Well, at least I'll have peace on the way there. I have a PhD in fear. I can tell you every way you can be afraid and lock yourself in a room and not leave. I I wish I was speaking from some book I read. How do I encourage myself? Find someone who's worse off than you and be their answer to prayer. Remember the kingdom. Remember in the kingdom, whatever you need, you have to give away. Jesus said, give and it shall be given to you. You need encouragement? Go find someone who needs it worse than you and give it to him. Oh, I don't have anything to give. You're going to find out that when you give from sacrifice, that it always comes back to you. Thank you. Number four, remind yourself that you're not a powerless victim, so stop feeling sorry for yourself and start taking control of your life. Has anyone felt powerless before? Just Eric and I again. Eric and I know we're a thing, and we know God, and we feel powerless before. Anyone ever have situations in your life you feel totally powerless? I, I have. You're not. It's not true. Oh, no, well, you don't know my situation. I know you're God. I know you're God, so you're not powerless. Do you understand that when you pray, God listens? And he sort of made everything, and he cares. And the Bible says that if a bird falls from the nest, he cares about that. Hunters? (laughs) Eric Hopper said, "You you can discover what your enemy fears most by observing the means he uses to frighten you. You can discover what the enemy fears most about you <laughs> by observing the means he uses to frighten you. You know what you fear most? Usually your destiny lies on the other side of it. They don't put money in a glass jar, put it in a Brinks truck. If something's valuable, it's protected. Your destiny is precious to God. And your destiny is calling for you. And your enemy wants to make sure that you don't come into your destiny Because when you come into your destiny, every time anyone comes into his destiny, it has to do with you reaching your potential and him losing 
more power. Because your destiny is rooted in destroying the works of the devil. One more person gets love, one more person gets free, da-da-da. Your destiny scares the hell out of the devil. So how many of you know that the things that are really important are protected? No, let me say it differently. That's true, but here's what, I, here's what I'm emphasizing. The things that are really important are defended. So when you get to a place in your life where you resist it, you're like, God doesn't want me here. Well, somebody doesn't want you there, but it may not be God. <laughs> you're not a powerless victim. As a matter of fact, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You, weren't, you once weren't a people at all, but now you're the people of God. You're not powerless. It's, not, it, it's an illusion. Now, just let me stop for a minute. You know the difference between maturity and immaturity as a believer, in my opinion? An immature believer lives by their emotions, their feelings. A mature believer values their emotions, but doesn't let their emotions tell them what to do. They tell their emotions what to do. To to me, the difference between, I'm sure there's other differences, but typically our character falters when when we listen to our feelings instead of our faith. What does God tell me to do instead of what my feelings tell me? What do my feelings tell me? People are like, well, I feel... That's like, okay, your feelings are valuable, but they're not paramount. I don't feel happy. Well, get happy. Number seven, reassure yourself that the happiest people in the world have problems too. They just refuse to let their circumstances dictate their attitude. (laughs) This is one of my favorite negative verses in the Bible. And it's spoken by Jesus. And if you had never read the Bible before, and I, and I quoted this as a verse, and said, who do you think said this? I bet you wouldn't think it was Jesus. And here's the verse. It's Matthew 6, 34. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I don't know why, but that just doesn't sound like a powerful Jesus. Like, hey guys, don't worry about tomorrow. Why not? Every day's got too much trouble already. I don't know if you're like this, but I, I, I was like this a lot more before I came to Bethel. I, I, I'm, like it, I'm like this less now. I look at other people's lives, and it looks like some people, they have money, they have stuff, they have a nice house. It looks like you know, their kids are all well-behaved, you know, they're all well-dressed, everybody's, everybody's successful, they have, you know, they have letters after their names, their kids have letters after their names. They went to schools that I actually know the names of. And played sports and did things. And I look and I'm like, oh, those people have their whole life together. And now I realize there's no such thing as people without problems. There's only people that don't allow their problems to dictate their attitudes. Many of those people that I admired have been in my office looking for help. As I have been in other people's offices looking for help. It's like there's no such thing as a human being that doesn't have struggles. And by the way, you can't buy yourself. You know, somebody once said years ago, 
With this, in fact, I memorized this little, this little saying when, I, when Kathy and I were really in trouble financially. He said, um, he said uh, if money can solve your problem, you don't have a real problem. How many of you understand that there, if money can pay for it, then a problem can be humanly solved? And those are easy problems. It's the problems that can't be humanly solved. They're the problems that you can't pay for. It's the son who refuses to be reconciled. It's the spouse who refuses to be... A million dollars won't reconcile this marriage. A, a ten million dollars won't heal this body. You know, a hundred million dollars won't heal this mind. Those are real problems. And how many of you know that God is the one that we turn to in, in everything so reassure yourself that happy people in the world have problems too. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe I'm saying it the wrong way. Maybe misery loves company and maybe you should just know when you go through miserable days that happy people do too. <laughs> there, I said it. Number eight, you just have a couple more. Never forget that all things work out for good in the end. So if it isn't good, it isn't the end. All things work together for good in the end. In the end. Not always in the middle. If it isn't good, it isn't the end. I was, we were with some friends some time ago, very, very uh, powerful leaders, that their son and, and uh, their son-in-law and daughter are going through divorce. It's, very, it's a very ugly situation. Very, very awesome people just going, just, just having a big struggle. These are the kind of people you look at and they go, and you see everything they're doing, you're like, oh, these people don't have a problem in the world. And you get behind the scenes and you realize they have an unsolvable problem, a problem that money won't solve. And so we've been interacting for several months. We, we, they, they call and, and um, partly because we've been through it before with our son, I think we, we connected. In fact, I, I never knew these people, very, very famous leaders in our country. I never knew them until um, they started going through this, this struggle. And I think, um, I think it was Banning who said, I, I would call Chris. He's been through that. He could probably give you some advice. And so not too long ago, things just got really bad. And I said, do you believe that all things work together in the end, for good in the end? And they said, yes. I said, then what would be the point? She said, I don't know. What's your point? I said, that it can't be the end. This isn't the last chapter of the book. This is, this is two people working on their testimony. This is a book everyone's going to want to read. And you can't, you're not going to be able to wait to get to the last chapter. Because all things work together for good in the end. So if it's not good, it's not the end. Anybody going through something in your life that's tough? It's not the end. Remind yourself, this will be a great story. This will be a testimony. But in order to have a, a money, you need a test. That was pretty deep right there. I... Uh, I missed, I missed uh, two. Sorry. 
So actually, I missed five and six, so let me just do them quick. Recount the fact that nobody can make you happy. Happiness is an inside job. Happiness is not based on happenings. It's rooted in Jesus. I, I read this, um, I think, a couple of weeks ago when I preached. And let, me, let me just give you a little bit of Jesus' idea of happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I was talking about marriage, and I said this. The, the, the greatest, I think one of the greatest core values that will destroy your marriage is I'm, I'm, that I marry this person so, because they make me happy. When, I, when we used to do pre-marriage counseling, which has been like two millenniums ago, we sit down with young people and say, why do you guys want to get married? They say, she makes me so happy. I'm like, okay, that sounds really awesome, except for to put the responsibility for happy on a human, is a, is, 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 a human cannot take that responsibility. Happiness is actually an inside job, and where happy happens, you can't get in there. Are you following me? Let, let me give you a couple of more verses that Jesus said about happy. Happy are you when, you're insult, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things about you because of you, because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they also persecuted the prophets. Oh, the prophets. There's a good word right there. Who went before you. I want a happy marriage. Okay, happy are you when people insult you. And persecute you. And say false things about you. That's what she's doing to me. Be happy. Your reward will be great in heaven. You married your persecutor. You're keeping that old saying, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. You married her. You're going to get a great reward in heaven. She's not making me happy. She is. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sakes and they speak falsely of you and they persecute you and, and they insult you. Be happy. I just want to be happy in my marriage. Get happy. But I'm in this marriage. You're going to get a great reward in heaven. You married Jezebel. It was a joke. Streamed. Sorry. That was a joke. I was exaggerating to make a point that humans don't make you happy. What you do with the way they react to you and how you respond determines whether you're going to be happy or not. So if, if you can be happy when people say evil things about you, then you got it figured out how to interact with the king so that no matter what happens in your life, you realize that happiness is an inside job. That's good. Number six I missed. Remember, I already did the last ones. Remember that regret's an equal opportunity destroyer. So forgive yourself and stop looking back. I love this, and it's one of Kathy's favorite uh, books of the Bible, actually. Philippians 3 says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press 
on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is really, this verse is an amazing verse by itself. But when you realize who wrote this verse, and you understand why he wrote this verse, and you realize the guy who persecuted, the greatest persecutor of the church in the first century was the Apostle Paul. He probably was responsible for more deaths than Nero. And so you can imagine, here's the Apostle Paul, he comes to a church that's, let's say, 3,000 people, and it used to be 5,000, but many people died through Paul's persecution. And there's, there's, there's wives with no husbands, there's children with no parents, because of Paul's persecution. Because of the letters that he had to persecute and kill the church and stone leaders of the church. And Paul had to live with, and Paul becomes he goes from persecuting the church to being a leader of the very churches he persecuted and he has to go from church to church and look people in the eye of the very people that his that he was responsible for killing their relatives and you can imagine in that state he says forgetting what lies behind how many know that if he gets stuck in what he used to do he can't be what he's called to do uh, this, this, to me, this is really huge. Uh, you know, we, we all have regrets. Uh, if you don't have regret, you're not very old. You know, so I, I don't know if my, you know, 12-year-old has regret. My 12-year-old grand, grandchildren have regrets. But, but you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm five times that old. I always can, you know, you can always look back and say, I wish I would have done it differently. I wish that would have been done differently. You know, they do it every, every Sunday if you, if you watch sports, you, know, you watch football. It's like, if I would have, if he wouldn't have, if he didn't fumble that ball, if he would have made that, it's like, but he didn't. He didn't. So they, they always say that great quarterbacks have a short memory. Because they, if, they, if they threw three interceptions in the first half, the only way they're, gonna, they're going to win the game is to actually forget that they threw any, any inter- interceptions because if they go out there and play it safe, they're not going to win the game. And there is a whole bunch of people who actually live in an attitude of regret. They've done things wrong, they've messed up something, and they've almost like taken a vow. I will never do that again. Well, guess what? You're never going to have victories if you don't have a battle. And guess what? The faith is spelled R-I-S-K. R-I-S-K. Key. Key. That's the key. The key is R-I-S-K key. Key. K stands for key. That's what I was going for right there. That was a revelation. If you never have anything go wrong, you're not doing anything. So get over yourself. You know, people don't stumble over mountains. They stumble over pebbles, over rocks, over pebbles, over small things. You climb mountains, you stumble over pebbles. You understand where I'm going? It's like, it's so funny. Like, we'll climb a mountain and fall down over, over some small thing that happened in our life and not realize that on the way to climbing that mountain, I fell down, but I climbed the mountain. And I'll spend my life in regret that I tripped over the stone. It's like, all right, you tripped over the stone, get over it. Well, I don't know how to. Well, get some help. 
I'm not, being, I'm not belittling the fact that we often need help, but I'm saying get help, but get past it. <laughs> That's a good word. The last one's this. Remember who's your daddy. It's sort of irrational to worry if you know who your daddy is. I, I do this to myself a lot. I, 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 you know, I'm, Kathy can tell you that I'm, I'm not prone to worry. I'm not a worrier. And people who are worriers, they kind of drive me crazy. I, I have to be honest. I kind of isolate myself from people who, like they've made it a career. I, I think risk takers don't get along very well with worriers. I, I don't like people to tell me all the reasons why this could go wrong. I'm not saying I don't need it. I'm just saying I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm, 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 not, I'm not really a worrier. But sometimes I worry. Is that a paradox? I, I'm not a kind of person, these guys all know, I'm not the kind of person that worries about little things, or worries about, well, you know, this thing went wrong with that thing. I, I kind of, I don't know if I'm fortified, but there are certain things that still bother me, especially things that get in my family or get close to me. They, those things bother me. And I have to ask myself this really simple question, and I, and I do this, and it's really helpful. Who's your daddy? Well, Bill Johnson is. That's my concern. Who, who, who loves you? Who's your daddy? Does he care about you? And I, and I, I don't know if this is... I mean, I think you, you, you may think I'm just trying to like be, give you the religious answer. I, I walk myself through this. I, this is part of what I do. This is part of the mental g- gymnastics that I do in my mind. When I'm, in, when I'm stuck, I go, okay, who's your daddy? Does he care? Okay, well, that would be God. Does he care about you? I don't know. Right now, he feels like a million miles away. Okay, is your feeling real? Is it real that he's a million miles away? No, it's not real. Okay, so, so right now, your, feeling and, your feelings and the truth are not related. Sometimes the feeling, my feelings and the truth are related. But right now, my feelings and the truth are not related. So I have a choice to make. Am I going to trust my feelings, or am I going to trust the truth? Okay, I know logically I should trust the truth, but do I trust the truth? How do I tell if I'm trusting the truth? Because when I start to trust the truth, I feel peace. I can say, I trust the truth, but if I'm still amped, still all you know, amped up and afraid and, and talking like things could go wrong... I actually don't trust God. I just say I do. This is one last quote. We are continually faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly described as unsolvable, insolvable problems. We are continually faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly described, disguised, I'm sorry. Let's try it again. We are continually faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as insolvable problems. 
Anybody like movies? Do you know what makes a great movie? A great conflict. I remember um, I was sitting with Donald Miller some years ago, and, and just to be clear, I don't know Donald very well. I, I, I respect him a lot from a distance. We've had lunch together at one time when he was here for a conference. And he was describing these, this um, movie that they were that some producers were going to do about his book. Now, some of you may know this story better than I, so forgive me if I get the details wrong, but it went something like this. He had a couple of movie producers, Hollywood movie producers, read his book, Blue Like Jazz, and they called Donald up and they said, hey, we're movie producers from Hollywood, and we'd like to make a movie out of your book. And he said, oh, that sounds exciting. And anyway, fast forward, he said, why don't you stay at my house? I'm single, not married. I've got extra rooms, I have a big house, why don't you stay at my house? Because they said, we'd like to come for a week and interview you. So they stayed at his house, two, two producers, two script writers. They stayed at his house, and um, the first day, he sat with them for, uh, I think, a few hours, and told him his story. And so they were taking notes and, you know, about his story, and then he you know, went off to do his own thing, went to bed, and next morning, they, they, they're sitting around the kitchen table, talking about their, the script that they, they were working on. And they said, um, in, the, uh, in your story, you had two girlfriends who dumped you. He said, I didn't have two girlfriends who dumped me. I only had one. They said, yeah, but in our story, you have two. So he, and so he tells them more of their story. And the next day, that, that when they're meeting for breakfast, they add some more to his story. And, he's, and he says to them, well, I, that didn't happen to me. And th- this, is the, this is what happened. They said, oh, yeah, we know that. We heard that. But, but in the movie, this is what's going to happen. So by the fifth day, on the fifth morning, you know, th- this is happening every day. On the fifth morning, he gets up, he sits around the, the breakfast table, and they said, well, you know, he said, this is, uh, in the movie, you're going to have these things happen that, Wrong, that go wrong in your life and you're going to solve it this way. He goes, well, the, those things didn't happen like that. This is the way it happened. And finally, he said, I thought you wanted to make a movie about my life. They said, Donald, your life is so boring that we can't get an hour and a half... We can't get an hour and a half of entertainment out of your entire life. And, and, he, and they said, there isn't enough conflict in your life to create entertainment. And so now he does this thing, I think they're called storytellers? Storyline conferences. And, and, uh, and he, so they left, and he had this, and, and you know, he just went through this process of, I don't know, grief or whatever it was. And he had this idea that came out of it. How about if I write my story, the story, I, the life I actually want to live, and then work backwards. What if I actually wrote a story that would be a great movie and then lived it? Instead of living a boring life that they have to make up things to actually entertain people when I'm 40 years old and they can't find an hour and a half worth of stuff that's real that would actually entertain somebody. And here's my point. 
You know what makes a great movie? Conflict. And the producers told him, the more conflict there is in, in your life, the greater the movie is. You're sitting here like, well, I, don't, I don't want them to make a movie out of my life. I, I'm actually, oh, that's what it takes to make a great movie? Yeah. And, and, and here's, here's my, my final point. I mean, the kingdom lies at risk. What do I do if I'm discouraged? Encourage yourself. Move forward. Remember, this isn't the last chapter of the book. Remember, your life's going to be a great movie. Remember, there's no victory without a battle. There's no, there's no money without a test. You want a testimony, you have to have a test. And so, you know what? Life is full of challenges. And they can be problems or challenges depending on how you perceive them. For lots of people, their, their life is full of problems. Their next door neighbor has the same things going on, and those to them, they're not problems, they're challenges. They're, they're mountains to scale, they're things to solve. It's, par, it's partly what makes life exciting, is that you have, you have a destiny, and it's being resisted. I love what Bill said uh, several months ago, I love this, it's one of my favorite quotes. I probably won't get it right because I don't seem like I'm very articulate ever, but especially tonight. Can't even spell risk. He said, if, if on your way you don't encounter a demon once in a while, maybe you're on going the same direction they're going. I love that quote. And it's true. If you never have any resistance in your life, maybe you're not doing anything worth resisting. And so it's like, I have all these troubles in my life. Well, you know what? Welcome to life. (laughs) Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. You know why? Every day has too much trouble of its own. (laughs) Don't look at tomorrow's challenges with today's grace. It'll be overwhelming. What are we going to do when our kids get old enough to go to college I don't know when they get that old there'll be grace for it what are we going to do when we have our first child Mm, be up a lot and you'll work it out what are we going to do listen don't look at tomorrow's problems with today's grace because it will always overwhelm you would you stand please Put your hand on your heart. I just want to pray for God to strengthen you. I want God to strengthen me too. So I don't know where Kathy went, but she needs God to strengthen her. <laughs> Lord, I just pray. <laughs> Lord, help these people. <laughs> Help us, people. We need help, Lord. On a serious note, I just, I just, I'm just thinking that this is the word of the Lord. This part of the message is the word of the Lord. When David, after David strengthened himself in the Lord, he said to the Lord, Lord, should I pursue them? 
and he began to ask the Lord for direction to solve his problem. And I, I just I want to say this by the word of the Lord. I feel like there's a lot of people, you're, you're, you're here tonight, you're watching by Bethel TV, someplace this will be repeated, and, and here's the word of the Lord to you, is that you need to ask the Lord what you should do about this. Like, like a counsel is good. It's good to get brothers and sisters counsel. The Bible says in the abundance of counselors, um, there's victory. But here's the word I feel like the Lord is sharing tonight. You need to ask the Lord, get out of fear and ask the Lord, what should I do about this? And let me just say this one more time. If you're in fear, it's going to be hard to hear what the Lord has to say. So you have to get out of fear, use some of the tools we talked about tonight, get out of fear and into faith, and then say, God, what should I do? Should I pursue them? Should I not pursue them? What's the right answer? And I believe that the Lord is going to very much speak to you about the challenges that, are, that, you're, that you're facing and that I'm facing. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that you would give us great wisdom and great understanding about the challenges that we face today. Are these challenges mountains that we're to climb, or are these challenges mountains that are be to be removed? You said that you, you should speak. You told us that we we're to speak to some mountains and tell them to be removed. And there's other mountains that we should climb. And God, teach us what mountains should be removed and what mountains are there that, that, that would cause us to grow strong as we climb those mountains. And Lord, I pray for everybody who lives in regret. They stumbled over a, 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 a rock, a, a pebble, or their, or, or their past is terrible, and they've forgotten who redeemed them. Lord, I, I pray tonight that you would release grace on us to be blinded by our past. That we, no, be blinded from our past. Lord, I pray for that. You would be our rear guard. Aren't you glad that you weren't created with an eye behind you? On the back of your head? There's a reason why you can't see behind you. Because the Lord is your rear guard. He created you to only move forward. You can't fight with your hands behind you. Your whole, whole, do you understand your whole skeletal system? This is the word of the Lord. You understand your whole skeletal system is designed. I can't do much from behind because I am designed to move forward. I'm designed to only see forward and, and who protects my backside? The Lord is my, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. I'm not created to even go backwards. I'm not created to even look behind me. God could have put a third eye here. You know he could have. It would have made good sense, would it not? But he didn't do that because he doesn't want us to think about our past. It's a prophetic, the way we're designed to prophetically forget our past and move into the new, new dimensions in God. And so, Lord, we bless the way you created us. We, you, we bless that you created us for victory. You, we bless that you created us to move forward and not to go back. And you said, nobody who, who's fit to be my disciple is, is, puts their hand to the plow and looks back. And so, Lord, help us to move forward in victory and not in regret. In Jesus' name.